Chapter Twenty Six of Other Things Being Equal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. Other Things Being Equal by Emma Wolfe. Chapter Twenty Six. Herbert Kemp and Doctor Stevens stood quietly talking to Mister Levis. The latter seemed weaker since his exertion of the morning. And his head lay back among the pillows as if support were grateful. Still, his eager eyes were keenly fastened upon the close-lipped mouth and broad, speaking brow of the minister, who spoke so quietly and pleasantly. Kemp, looking pale and handsome, answered fitfully when appealed to, and kept an expectant eye upon the door. When Ruth entered, he went forward to meet her, drawing her arm through his. They had had no word together. No meeting of any kind, but right here in the morning, and now, as she walked toward the bed, the gentle smile that came as far as her eyes was all for her father. Thought could hold no rival for him that day. This is Miss Levis, Doctor Stevens," said Kemp, presenting them. A swift look of wonderment passed under the reverend gentleman's beetle brows as he bent over her hand. Could this tall, beautiful girl be the daughter of little Jules Levis? Where did she get that pure Madonna face, that regal bearing, that mobile and expressive mouth? The explanation was sufficient when Mrs. Levis entered. They stood talking, not much, but in that wandering, obligatory way that precedes any undertaking. They were waiting for Arnold. He came in presently with a bunch of pale heliotropes. He always looked well and in character when dressed for some social event. It was as if he were made for this style of dress, not the style for him. The delicate pink of his cheeks looked more like the damask skin of a young girl than ever. His eyes, however, behind their glasses, were veiled. As he handed Ruth the flowers, he said, "I ask the doctor to allow me to give you these. Will you hold them with my love?" They are both very dear to me," she replied, raising the flowers to her lips. Their fragrance filled the room while the simple ceremony was being performed. It was a striking picture, and one not likely to be forgotten. Levice's eyes filled with proud, pardonable tears as he looked at his daughter, for never had she looked as today in her simple white gown, her face like a magnolia bud, a fragrant dream. Standing next to Kemp, the well-mated forms were noticeable. Even Arnold, with his heart like a crushed ball of lead, acknowledged it in bitter resignation. For him, the scene was one of those silent, purgatorial moments that are approached with senses steeled and thought held in a vice. To the others, it passed as if it had happened in a dream. Even when Kemp stooped and pressed his lips for the first time upon his wife's. The real meaning of what had taken place seemed far away to Ruth. The present held but one thing in prominence: the pale face upon the pillow. She felt her mother's arms around her. She knew that Louise had raised her hand to his lips, that she had drawn his head down and kissed him, that Doctor Kemp was standing silently beside her, that the minister had spoken some gravely pleasant words, but all the while she wanted to tear herself away from it all and fold that eager. Loving, dying face close to hers, she was allowed to do so finally, and when she was drawn into the outstretched arms, there was only the long silence of love.
Kemp had left the room with Dr. Stevens, having a further favor to entrust to him. The short announcement of this marriage, which Dr. Stevens gave for insertion in the evening papers, created a world of talk. When Kemp re-entered, Levis called him to him, holding out his hand. The doctor grasped it in that firm clasp which was always a tonic. "'Will you kneel?' asked Levis. Kemp knelt beside his wife, and the old father blessed them in the words that held a double solemnity now. "'The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.' "'I think if you don't mind, dear, I shall close my eyes now,' he said as they arose. Ruth moved about, closing the blinds. "'Don't close out all the sun,' said her father. "'I like it. It is an old friend. After all, I don't think I'll sleep. Let me lie here and look at you all for a while. Luis, my boy, must you go?' "'Oh, no,' he replied, turning back from the door and gliding into a chair. "'Thank you. And now don't think of me.' Go on talking. It will be a foretaste of something better to lie here and listen. Esther, are you cold? I felt a shudder go through your hand, love. Ruth, give your mother a shawl. Don't forget that sometimes someone should see that your mother is not cold. Just talk, will you? So they talked. That is, the men did. Their grave, deep voices and the heavy breathing of the invalid were the only sounds in the room. Finally, as the twilight stole in, it was quite still. Levis had dropped into a sort of stupor. Kemp arose then. "'I shall be back presently,' he said, addressing Mrs. Levis, who started perceptibly as he spoke. "'I have some directions to give to my man that I entirely forgot.' "'Could we not send someone? You must not stay away now.' I shall return immediately. Mr. Levis does not need me while he sleeps, and these instructions are important. Don't stir, Arnold. I know my way out. Nevertheless, Arnold accompanied him to the door. Ruth gave little heed to their movements. Her agitated heart had grasped the fact that the lines upon her father's face had grown weaker and paler, his breathing shorter and more rasping. When she passed him and touched his hand, it seemed cold and lifeless. At nine the doctor came in again. The only appreciable difference in his going or coming was that no one rose or made any formal remarks. He went up to the bed and placed his hand on the sleeping head. Mrs. Levis moved her chair slightly as he seated himself on the edge of the bed and took Levis's hand. Ruth, watching him with wide, distended eyes, thought he would never drop it. Her senses, sharpened by suffering, read every change on his face. As he withdrew his hand, she gave one long, involuntary moan. He turned quickly to her. "'What is it?' he asked, his grave eyes scanning her anxiously. "'Nothing,' she responded. It was the first word she had spoken to him since the afternoon ceremony. He turned back to Levis, lowering his ear to his chest. After a faint, almost imperceptible pause, he arose. "'I think you had all better lie down,' he said softly. "'I shall sit with him, and you all need rest.' 
I could not rest, said Mrs. Levice. This chair is all I require. If you would lie on the couch here, he urged, you would find the position easier. No, no, I could not. He looked at Ruth. I shall go by and by, she answered. Arnold had long since gone out. Ruth's by and by stretched on interminably. Kemp took up the argonaut that lay folded on the table. He did not read much, his eyes straying from the page printed before him to the finis writing itself slowly on Jules Levis's face, and thence to Ruth's pale profile. She was crying, so quietly, though, that but for the visible tears an onlooker might not have known it. She herself did not. Her heart was silently overflowing. Toward morning, Levis suddenly sprang up in bed and made as if to leap upon the floor. Kemp's quick, strong hand held him back. "'Where are you going?' he asked. Mrs. Levis stood instantly beside him. "'Oh,' gasped Levis, his eyes falling upon her. "'I wanted to get home, but it's all right now. "'Is the child in bed, Esther?' "'Here she is. Lie still, Jules.' You know you are ill. But not now. Ah, Kemp, I can get up now. I am quite well, you know. Wait till morning, he resisted, humoring this invariable idiosyncrasy. But it is morning now, and I feel so light and well. Open the shutters, Ruth. See, Esther, a beautiful day. It was quite dark, with the darkness that immediately precedes dawn. The windows were bespangled with the distillations of the night, which gleamed as the light fell on them. Mrs. Levis seated herself beside him. "'It is very early, Jules,' she said, smiling with hope, not knowing that this deceptive feeling was but the rose-flush of the sinking sun. "'But if you feel well when the day breaks, you can get up, can't he, doctor?' "'Yes.' Levis lay back with closed eyes for some minutes. A quivering smile crossed his face, and his eyes opened. "'Were you singing that song just now, Ruth, my angel?' "'What song, father dear?' "'That adieu, adieu, pays, amours. "'We sang it, you know, when we left home together. "'My mother said I was too small.' too small, and too. Ruth looked around wildly for Kemp. He had left the room. She must go for him. As she came into the hall, she saw him and Louise hurriedly advancing up the corridor. Seeing her, they reached her side in a breath. Go, she whispered through pale lips. He is breathing with that. Kemp laid his hand upon her shoulder. Stay here a second. It will be quite peaceful. She looked at him in agony, and walked blindly in after Louise. He was lying as they had left him, with Mrs. Levice's hand in his. "'Keep tight hold, darling,' the rattling voice was saying. "'Don't take it off till another takes it. "'It will not be hard then.' Suddenly he saw Louise standing pale and straight at the foot of the bed. "'My good boy,' he faltered. My good boy, God will bless. He closed his eyes again. Paler and paler grew his face. 
"'Father!' cried Ruth in agony. He looked toward her, smiling. "'The sweetest word,' he murmured. "'It was my glory.'" Silence. A soul is passing, a simple, loving soul, giving no trouble in its passage, dropping the toils, expanding with infinity. Not utterly gone, immortality is assured us in the hearts that have touched ours. Silence. A shadow falls, and Jules Levis's work is done, and the first sunbeams crept about him, lay at his feet a moment, touched the quiet hands, fell on the head like a benediction, and rested there. End of chapter 26